guys, welcome. We will uh, discuss the value of engaged fan communities. Uh, and I'm here with four guys who are quite experienced in this uh, specific job field. Um, Cam, welcome. Yep. Thanks. Uh, you're from London, right? Yes. Do you live in Amsterdam? Yeah, I live in Amsterdam, yeah. Okay. Do you I, moved, I moved here a year ago. So. Sorry? I moved here a year ago. Okay. Yeah. Do you understand some Dutch? Uh, I'm Beisha. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> well, we do the talk in English, so. Okay, perfect. You're perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and what for what kind of company you have? Yeah, um, it's, it's quite freeform at the moment. Um, I offer marketing consultancy to various uh, businesses. I worked for five years for a major record label. Um, EMI, right? EMI, yes. Um, and now I'm working with Atlantic Records um, on some global artists with them. I'm working with Universal on a couple of retainers and then also working with TicketSwap on uh, some branded activations around ADE uh, and also some influencer marketing activations. So, yeah, it's a bit going on. I also have an artist. I manage an artist. He's also playing at ADE. So there's, like, just a lot going on in my world. But um, it's all interesting. He's called Jeffrey Heston. Um, so he's playing at a, a label showcase tonight, mm -hmm. uh, So House. And then, yeah, he's kind of like a recording artist in the UK. So we're just sort of building him into a live performing artist. So, well, yeah. he's the best place. Yeah, course. it's good. It's good. He's met some good people already. Yeah. So it's exciting. Okay, yeah. Welcome. Thanks. Um, Damien, uh, I would like to congratulate you with your new position. Thank you very much. Because you're working at Fan Gage, um, yeah. Yeah. but you also have a new job as the new CEO, right? That's correct. Yeah. Where did you start at Fan Gage? Started uh, one and a half year ago. Um, I, I joined when Sam Felt, the founder of the company, and Nick Felt, and invited me over to um, to help grow the company um, because they uh, raised two hundred uh, two million sorry euro, and they needed to yeah start building that company. So um, they asked me to help, and I said yes um because yeah it was a great product and uh, great vision so yeah you moved on up really quick right within a year and a half it is a small company but uh, uh yes <laughs> and can you tell us a little bit about what kind of company it is yeah sure so um sam when he founded it when he always explains it also to me it's like he could never reach his fans on uh on, on instagram and other social media channels so he had a lot of followers but he couldn't reach them directly yeah so um he started making this platform and um, with this platform, it is made for uh, creators to make them independent, to yeah. reach their fans more directly, to engage with them. Um, so I was really sold for that. Um, I come from the hospitality business. Uh, I think it's really important to have a good interaction with your guests. Yeah. So when working at Paylogic, I always was also talking about the fan and the fan experience of buying a ticket. So this was the right step in that whole like career path to say like, okay, this is something great I want to invest time in because of experience and, and I like the vision and the passion uh, that Sam and Nick had mm -hmm. and have still in the company. Yeah, yeah. with Fangage, um, it's, it's, it's a platform for artists and creators to take back the control um, of interacting with the fans without, for instance, the risk of your Instagram profile 
um, being deleted or being hacked, right? Exactly, and and it's it's really built to have the direct connection uh, with the fan. Um, creator and fan bring them together uh, and not be a blocker. Don't put up any paywalls, don't put any walls at all actually to yeah. interact directly with them. The data is also, uh, the creator is owner of the data. That's a really important thing for us. Um, they own the data um, and they have direct uh, contact. We don't use that data to, to spam them with other information or, 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 or marketing. Okay, thank you. Um, Mauricio. <laughs> Welcome, all the way from Brazil, right? Yes. You work uh, at MS Live and also you have uh, the event space, Arca. Exactly, yeah. Is it pronounced as Arca? Arca, yeah. Um, and you're, you're the head of an um, uh, event production company, right? Yes, yes. Uh, we have on one side MS Live which is the event production and promotion company. And on the other side, ARCA, mm -hmm. the event venue. So they work basically like software and hardware, mm -hmm. you know, in a really symbiotic way. Do you, all, do, do, you do all events also at ARCA? Yes, yes. Exclusively uh, or? Most of the MS Live events happen at ARCA, mm -hmm. um, but it's not only MS Live events there. So we have Arca as a platform for the whole creative industry mm -hmm. and MS Live doing the electronic music shows there. Cool. Is this your first time at ADA in the Netherlands? No, my sixth. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. Um, Tim, we already oh. know each other for quite a while. Um, you are the co-founder and CEO of Ghost Spooky. Correct. Uh, of course, everybody uh, always talks about you um, creating this company at 13 years old? I was 16 but I'm in the oh. business since I was, okay. uh, <laughs> since Maybe I was you were 30. already thinking about it at, at the age of uh, 13. I, I worked, I worked uh, five years in the music industry business, so I worked at Spinning Records for five years and did all their like, new social platforms. Mm -hmm. um, and like EDM uh, worldwide was like booming, so that's that was like my first where I really saw, hey, you can really build a business on these platforms. And uh, until basically got sold to Warner. And then uh, while I was still spinning, I started Go Spooky. And then what, I started what, doing that. What made you decide to, to uh, start Go Spooky? Um, mainly because I saw like the music industry in general. I think it's a very, an industry that gets disrupted a lot of times. And I think one of the most... Um, innovative industry so I think music industries I think four or five years ahead of other industries so I started looking around I didn't see any fortune 500 brand doing anything with snap Instagram twitch we also did like all the Chinese platforms so a lot of unused potential and that was basically things like hey maybe you should tell them how to do it and uh, yeah. that's basically how we started start advising companies didn't sell anything the first six months. No. Um, then we thought like, hey, maybe we should also make the campaigns and then it started growing, uh, basically start growing from there. Yeah, because Go Spooky does the social campaigns for like big brands, right? Yeah, we, we always say we keep leading brands at the forefront of these social platforms and we do that for brands like uh, Amazon, Dior, uh, Snapchat, uh, partnerships with all the major platforms. Yeah. So um, yeah, we uh, we also work with TicketSwap, so that's... Uh, yeah, that's what we do basically. Yeah, well, one of the funny things is that you actually help companies um, create on Snapchat, and now Snapchat is one of your clients, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we started out as like Snapchat only because yeah. we thought it wasn't 
nice way in and that's, we thought like, hey, that's the future of how people want to use these platforms, the social in general. And now Snapchat, we're like one of their yeah, top three global partners. So yeah. that's, uh, that's very exciting yeah, and cool. uh, yeah, it's, it's super nice. Okay, thank you for your introduction, guys. Cam, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about your experience with building fan communities? Is that something that you worked on before? For instance, EMI, who is also now one of your clients, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the that's like the day in day out working with artists. You know, they an artist's music is only heard by an audience, right? So, like yeah. the big task of signing. Well, I think what they think they're signing to a label for is is people who have that expertise. And it's interesting working in labels and you realize there are really good people who do understand that. But it's like, even I think to what uh, Tim said about um, music being the forefront of innovation, it's always changing. Even in the five years that I started working there, you know, it would be that you would get a song on the radio and then that would be, they would see Shazam data and that would kind of be the way that, you know, the way in for an artist to get the reputation amongst sort of like uh, the gatekeepers, you know, like mm. press used to be a really important thing. It, there's so many artists, if you can't break yourself on TikTok nowadays, it's going to be really difficult. And it's yeah. like, you know, labels can facilitate that. And I think a lot of the time, I think a, a really exciting way with young artists is just testing and learning and using different platforms and just encouraging them to find their voice and their, their their audience and once you find that and something works out of testing over a certain amount of time then you just keep doing it you know and it's like I think that's a that's a day in day out um kind of experience working in music mm. um and then yeah I mean obviously you're always trying to innovate for artists who already have established fan bases you know yeah. who, who 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 are trying to still be relevant 20 years into their campaigns um so I have that with chasing status um they're 20 years into music in in the uk and, and and globally and it's like yeah trying to find 18 year olds now as their audience base is kind of like a daily task but just yeah. still do it credible for you know guys who are slightly older in there and and their lives have moved in different ways, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. And do you think that traditional media such as radio is still important for artists as well to yeah, get is. their music played or? Definitely, it, it really is. It's like, obviously, if you can create online moments to encourage them to support, I think that's, that is really important. But I think, I think radio stations can see through sort of flash in the pan songs, you know, I like, don't think that necessarily um, supports it. Some, some records may have no digital footprint, but it gets on the radio and it does react. You know, there are certain records that have that, but I think every record's different. It's, well, you know, there are certain trajectories that you can look at, but um, yeah, I still think it has a, it still has a form. Do I think print press and, and press in general does? I don't know, it's difficult to necessarily say. I think if the, if the look is right with the right, digital space, then yeah, it can be really interesting. But I wouldn't say, if I was a young artist, I wouldn't be investing in a press campaign. Mm. I'd be investing in other spaces. Mm -hmm. Such um, as putting your music on TikTok? Or yeah, TikTok or like, yeah, I mean, Snap is interesting. Discord, you know, if you're going to be like, if you're going to be building a, an audience-based YouTube, but like not shooting in a full-blown music video, I think music videos are also potentially a dying art form in music mm -hmm. to a degree, yeah. unless you're a massive artist. It's yeah. like, yeah, I think being nimble, on less but also thinking digitally is obviously like the way that any artist should be trying to do their job now you know is, is discord and twitch is it something that is quite similar or can you because you're talking about discord and i know uh, like there are performances on twitch or discord i don't know i'm, I'm not a gamer of any kind so 
not the same, right? I think that uh, Discord is more like a community-oriented uh, platform, yeah. uh, while Twitch is more also community, but more like uh, broadcasting content, right? And a, a lot of live content. Such uh, as games or videos? Yes, yes. So I think they are complementary. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I think Tim, did you want to say something? No, no, I think, yeah, I agree with uh, Discord. It's, I think it's it's been lo a lot of Twitch users use Discord yeah. and a lot of... Um, I wouldn't say that Twitch isn't about community because I think that's one of the core platforms where you really see, like, streamers with 10,000 subscribers, like, make a better living than, for example, an Instagram yeah. influencer with mm -hmm. a million yeah. or 10 million followers. So... I think it's about, I think the people on Discord, especially on Twitch, are much more engaged and much more dedicated towards, for example, one or two streamers, like really yeah. fans. While you don't see that, for example, on on Instagram or on TikTok or on these more like fast platforms. Mm -hmm. um, but you see a lot of Twitch streamers having Discord communities. And the interesting thing about Discord, I think, is that the value on Twitch, what you see, for example, on Discord, the value is not in, like, the cre it's more in the creator facilitating their, that space for their mm -hmm. fans. Mm -hmm. and I think that's the most interesting about communities in general. It's like when you can create these positive network effects where, like, the value is in the community and not necessarily around the content of the artist or yeah. the content of the brand. I think that's where, the, when you know you have a real community, when people like come together based on a certain interest, whether it's an artist or something else. That, I think that's really the power of Discord. That's what you not see on a lot of platforms. But can yeah. you give me an example uh, of how a big brand such as Coca-Cola can reach the community through um, something like Discord? It's first starts with what community. So I think that's a struggle with a lot of brands that they, we get so much briefs and I think that advertising the brands are the only ones who are doing this like we get briefs like yeah we want to reach gen z mm -hmm. like yeah they the, all they all want to if, reach gen z if i would say go to hollywood or go to a record label or something else i would say yeah i want to make a, a movie that's for people between 20 and 30 years old what are you going to make mm -hmm. so i think it's first like how to define the audience, how they define themselves. Really, it's mostly about interest. So for brands like Coca-Cola, yeah, I don't believe they're, yeah, maybe you have some super fans of Coca-Cola, but in general, I don't think anyone really likes to join the Coca-Cola community. Mm -hmm. So for Coca-Cola, it's more like, hey, what, what are the values of our brand and what, uh, what industries or what communities do, does that fit with? Could be music, they do a lot with, uh, just did something with Marshmallow, I think, uh, gaming, etc. And then you dive deep, deeper into those communities and try to add value. I think that's really um, the way in for them. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't say that if Coca-Cola would open a Discord community, it would be a great success. They would rather, I think, join or add something to existing and uh, I think I also think that a lot of brands uh, use community as a cooler term to refer to audience yeah uh, while at least to me they are two different things you know audience uh, the dynamics is like one to many mm -hmm. while community is like peer-to-peer many-to-many yeah but community also sounds more intimate more personal right 
Nah, it depends. It starts really personal, but it can grow to you know a very big community. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, Damien, what do you think that drives a fan to actually enter and want to participate in a community? Be part of and, and direct connection with that uh, creator and also exchange that experience with other ones. I, I remember my first Jesto show. Mm. I think it was in the Gelderdome. It was quite a while ago. Um, as a visitor. As a visitor. And um, it's, it's, you are on, uh, he's on stage, not I'm on stage. He's on stage, I'm looking at him and I, I enjoy, but I also am with the crowd together and we experience that the same uh, vibe. Uh, literally, we were dancing and I saw the whole crowd going up and down. For the first time, I saw like a wave in a crowd and I was like, this is cool. I want to be part of that wave, not only here, but afterwards. So it's like that engagement that you want and that community feeling that, that gives you that experience over and over again. So I think that's important. And what I just heard from Cam with growing your fan base was, was interesting. Like what is, or like building your fan base, like what is it exactly? Is it growing? Is it like eyeballs indeed and collecting more growing that community? Or is it also strengthening that community? So making sure that those fans, um, that you can give something exclusive back or that you, that you, they give something to you, um, not only data, but also their time, uh, um, maybe even uh, invest uh, money in, in buying records or doing things. Um, so you also want to give something back. So we just talked about a performance a moment ago. Um, help me with who. Yeah, it was um, a Chase and Status album yeah. campaign. And this was a specific uh, performance for loyal fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was really cool. It was, it was a creative execution, which was basically... Um, it was their sixth studio album, so it's like they've been doing music for a long time, and we just thought, what what does that whole period of time, uh, what's that epitomized by? And actually, it was the fans. They were like, they distilled it down to like, you know, people have supported us for 20 years, so how do we encapsulate that in, in a singular moment? We were working with a really great uh, creative team called Crowns and Owls. They, they've done, I don't know if you know the artist Slow Tie. He's like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they did all of the iconic kind of Slow Tie photography and I reached out to them and explained this brief and they came up with this really ambitious idea actually we partnered with O2 in the UK to do it um, and it was basically we shot a uh, thousand person rave and that is the album cover so fans knew they were coming to be on, encapsulated on the album cover yeah. um, and that, that as a, a journey for audience was really interesting you know you've got You've got that singular moment. We, we took phones, like I was explaining, that people had their phones in their pockets. So, you know, whilst we wanted to reach people digitally, we also knew that taking digi digital things away was really important for this, for this moment. And it was funny, even on the night, you know, seeing fans interact in ways and hearing conversations, overhearing conversations of how, like, and in the forums and on Twitter, and they have a WhatsApp group as well, like, people just talking about the night and how they've met several people and et cetera, et cetera. But that was a really good journey for an audience because it was like, they were encapsulated on the artwork. So they then had an invested interest in purchasing that as a, you know, yeah. from a market, pure marketing sense, you know, the user journey to reward them for not only coming on that night, but then they get to keep this sort of magical piece of artwork that yeah. will see them on their favorite artists album cover. It was like a really nice user journey. Um, and we started to then reach out to those people during the campaign and they were rewarded in other ways. We started a discord, they get sent exclusive like content and it's, yeah, I don't know. It's like, a that was a that was a nice flow. So the strengthening idea there, you know, how do we bind these people together who are all fans of the same artist? That was a singular moment that we like and, and did that. But I think that's not always the easiest to achieve. You know, it's quite 
That's um, the answer on, on the community part. Like, why would you be part of a community because yeah. of this? Yeah. Because of these kind of uh, moments in which you create from fans to real ambassadors. Yeah. What we um, talked about. Putting them on the album cover. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I would be on the album cover of Chesto. Well, Chesso, well, if you're listening, no, well, yeah. <laughs> Damien is available. Um, Mauricio, do you notice any differences between um, uh, the way fans interact uh, with their artists within the different kind of communities? Like, for instance, do you also do you only do um, uh, dance events, or do you also do like pop events? We're doing a, a pop event now in November 19th. It will be the, the first. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't think that I'm capable of speaking about the differences yet. Um, but uh, concerning the, the electronic music fans, uh, yeah, depending on the subgenre, you see some, some differences. Like um, when we did uh, Tomorrowland Brazil back in 2015 and 16, um, that community was really wild. You know, we, at first, uh, it started, to be honest, in 2012, when someone created like a Tomorrowland Brazil uh, page on Facebook. And uh, overnight it had like 200,000 people. Yeah. Uh, in there and uh, it was the first time that we looked and said well something here we should look into it and uh, we we discovered a, a lot of uh, unofficial ambassadors throughout Brazil yeah and uh, instead of trying to control everything and do everything top-down uh, we got close to them and uh, listened to them a lot to, to hear about you know what were people expectations desires etc etc and and then in return, we empower them uh, with like uh, exclusive information or first-hand information, uh, content to, to distribute uh, among their peers. And uh, that worked really, really well because yeah. uh, the, the brand came to Brazil in a very authentic way. Yeah, I, I really recognize what you're saying because I've worked at uh, Barong Family as a label manager like 10 years ago, so it's way, way back. Um, and uh, th that, of course, is the label of Yellow Claw, the, the dance act. And they had some self-proclaimed ambassadors as well. Um, and they made sure that they gave the ambassadors uh, merchandise, so the newest jackets. Um, they would talk to the ambassadors after the performances. Uh, and that way they become key people, key key persons for the community to reach out to if they wanted to go to an event and uh, really hook up with each other. Because I think the, the dance industry has one of the most loyal communities uh, in the music industry. Um, how do you say it? Uh, at, at all? Or, yeah, uh, yeah just in general. Yeah. In, general. in general, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that, that was what I was looking for. Thank yeah. you. Um, yeah. Do you do you have or is it possible on fan engage to also have like a specific place for for like uh, artist ambassadors or 
How does that work? Actually, every fan that you bring to your own platform, every fan that Sam brings to Fangage mm -hmm. um, are loyal fans. Uh, they, they, they engage. You can see that also uh, in the back end. You can see that they respond, that they open email campaigns. And that's really powerful also for brands because brands, um, they can go directly uh, into the communities or build their own communities like we just heard. But it's also interesting for Sam now saying to like, okay, I have this very loyal fan base. This, these are my super fans. Yeah. Um, so they're all ambassadors. Yeah, they, 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 they're all ambassadors. And he's putting in the driver's seat talking to brands also like, hey, um, I like your brand. Uh, I want to um, introduce you to my loyal fans. And I'll do that in my way, on my terms. Um, and also the financial terms are in that case better. Yeah. Um, so, and it's, I think for brands, it's really interesting because it, it reaches them very well. So it's almost like, like uh, very targeted mm -hmm. and they can see the impact of it. So with, with maybe a campaign on a, a social media or an influencer, you don't know exactly what you reach. The algorithm decides and, and it's, yeah. it's, it's a bit, I don't know how you say that in English. Now you have to help me shooting with Hill. Maybe that's a schiet met hapel. You, you try uh, a very yeah. big audience yeah. to reach yeah. and you just hope that somebody catches. And, yeah. and of course it works. It, it, it also grows your, your, your reach, but um, going really like specifically to somebody and, and knowing that that person is interested to read it because it comes from somebody that you like. It's way more powerful. Can, can you give me an example for how a brand can uh, work with an artist on Fangage? Is it like, uh, can they do like a photo campaign or a video campaign? Yeah, mostly it's it's offering something. Uh, so the creator offers something um, on behalf of the brand. Um, so yeah, that, that could be could be anything. Um, I don't know if I if I can speak about it right now. But okay, let's do it. But Sam Feld is doing uh, looking at a brand deal right now. Mm -hmm. um, uh, for in this case, air uh, protection. Well, if it comes from your DJ, I think it's also uh, you, you quicker buy something like that. So he's going to use his fan base to uh, to promote this. So and because mm -hmm. the um, connection between the artist and the, the fans is more close at fan gauge. Yeah, more authentic. Um, the the conversion will probably be higher yeah. than if you do a promotion campaign on yeah. Instagram, for instance. Yeah. Um, Tim, how, how important is emotional connection uh, when it comes to uh, communities? In, in relation to the... To the artists. To the artists. Yeah, it's the core of everything. Mm. So it's like the... the um, it's the, it's in the right, your emotion, the, your interest in the first place, and the passion for something, I think, is the first place that you're in that community. And afterwards, I think it's about... I think the most... It's evoking that emotion, but also the best communities, they mostly give back to the community. Mm -hmm. and it's not, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, is it also in sharing like more personal stories? Um, yeah, could be. I think it's, it's fully dependent on, I think from an artist, we always think, I think from an artist's perspective, I think an artist really has two profiles. So their professional profile in the terms of their music, but also their personal profile. And I think some of the best artists out there, they have both. So I think, of course, you have your music and you have your art. And that's, uh, I think that's what brings people in that really reflects on an emotional level as well. But I think um, on what Damien was saying, like, hey, if you have an artist that also is very rich 
on on the personal side so having a sense for example having a passion for for food or for fashion or for other things that opens so much more opportunities not only in in like connecting with other communities for example it's not an it's not an artist but i think a great example is for example lewis hamilton mm-hmm. on the formula one grid he touches yeah. like so many different in, uh, interests and passions that which makes him like a much I think rounder uh, driver maybe also better for like brand deals etc. Than yeah, because uh, Max Verstappen would be. Yeah, he's also like big into fashion and he's also very outspoken about like racism. Yeah, yeah he, he has a lot of layers and I think that's that's really I think the biggest the biggest ones they really have both um, because that makes them more human and also. Th- I think more relatable. I think yeah, that's, the, that's the that's the the core and. Yeah, that's for I think for um, for a person it's easier because then basically you just need to be yourself, yeah. and then you're like unique in itself. There's nobody like you. So that's for for I think a brand it's 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 more difficult because they have like not a person or they sometimes they have a day. Then it's I think more uh, difficult to find like what are your values and what's like your mission. I think brand that really does that maybe as the best in the world it's like for example patagonia mm-hmm. just truly values and driven uh, mission uh, mission driven um didn't they give like uh, a lot of the revenue of the company the, away, the founder or? the founder gave like mm-hmm. put all his shares uh in like a fund he, ba- he basically uh made sure the company would like return all its profits in the next uh when he would the thing was, he get basically gave back the company to uh, to to the earth. That was like the the thing. So all the profits of the company in the next hundred years will go back towards the, like their mission. Yeah. He basically gave away the company, yeah. like two three billion uh, dollars. Yeah, it's a it's a really uh, noble noble com- company. A lot of people uh, love Patagonia. Patagonia, Patagonia. Um, Mauricio. Um, what was the most successful strategy that you have created for? Well, um, I don't want to be repetitive, but uh, I think it was also related to Tomorrowland Brazil. Mm. When we launched the, the event, we did, uh, we did a research uh, about the, the perceptions that people had uh, on the festival and uh, some things that came out really clearly so uh, people in Brazil thought that uh, Tomorrowland was uh, wonderful on one hand but also inaccessible Why? on the other hand because well uh, for people in Brazil to travel to Belgium uh, it's already expensive then Tomorrowland is an expensive uh, festival uh, so to have that full experience was really uh, out of the reach uh, for most people. Yeah. Um, and also people thought that uh, Brazil would uh, never be able to, to host an event like that. So uh, we created this strategy uh, to uh, launch the event uh, one week after the 2014 World Cup. Uh, which, well, you all know it was a disaster for Brazil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 7-1 <laughs> for Germany. And, all the boys uh, are smiling, yeah. all the, the men are smiling. <laughs> so um, we came with this idea uh, of an event, uh, a free event uh, to make 
really this uh, first approach really accessible to, to everyone. Was Tomorrowland a free event or was it a pre-event? It was a pre-event. It was a, a viewing event that later became uh, the, the model for Unite. Um, so we did this first experience in Brazil. Um, which uh, was uh, like a, a live uh, broadcast of the event uh, in a public park in Sao Paulo for 10,000 people. In the end, we had um, 10,000 people inside the fences and also another 20,000 surrounding the, the place. It was like a festival yeah. like on itself almost. Yeah, uh, with a 16-meter wide uh, LED screen. Um, some local DJs playing before and then the, the broadcast of the festival and then uh, as a surprise David Guetta got the, the microphone. He has a really uh, passionate relationship with the Brazilian audience with yeah. Brazil uh, so it was a no-brainer to choose him and uh, he got the microphone and uh, out of the blue told people hey guys I have a very uh, amazing surprise for you. Uh, there's a party happening in Sao Paulo right now and then they showed on the LED screens of Belgium the, the party happening in Sao Paulo and in Sao Paulo showed Belgium cool. so we created this connection and uh, he said I want to say to all my fans in Brazil Tomorrowland is coming to you and at that moment it was like really cathartic you know people in Brazil was they were wild uh, people in Belgium as well we had about 5,000 Brazilian people in Belgium as well and also the, the online viewers so so in the, the period of uh, about 20 days that we did a pre-registration, uh, we got uh, around 1 million people pre-registering wow. to, to go to the first edition of Tomorrowland in Brazil. Yeah. Uh, and that uh, without uh, spending a, a single dollar on uh, like uh, side promotion. Uh, besides this, of course, this cost. You know, to do this event in, in Sao Paulo, but we didn't spend on digital media. It was all about that moment, that content, and it was really, really successful. It's like a dream for an event production company, I think, right? Yeah. And do you uh, do you notice any differences between fan engagement, uh, like in South America, and for instance in Europe or in the Netherlands, where the dance industry is really? Uh, I think that Brazilians are way more active on social media than uh, Europeans or North Americans. Americans. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, everything like catches up uh, a lot more quickly and uh, um, but um, also that makes uh, it it's hard to, to stand out uh, consistently mm -hmm. because there's a lot of people, a lot of creative people, uh, you know, putting out uh, quality content uh, about everything. And uh, you don't compete only with other electronic music brands. You know, you no. compete with uh, everyone, everything that's happening. So, um, you know, influencer marketing uh, in Brazil is uh, is something that's really relevant for for brands in all uh, market segments, um, and uh, I, I think that we have the most uh, self-proclaimed uh, influencers uh, in the world. Mm -hmm. I believe uh, because why, it also. Why is that? Um, well, um, I think that. Um, Brazil in general has this culture, uh, like uh, outgoing culture, like really open and uh, uh, people, uh, people they like to, to be on the screen, to be recognized and uh, 
not my case exactly, but <laughs> uh, that's, uh, you know, in, in general. So um, I think that, um, especially with a pandemic, people got into this, uh, okay, I'll create something, I'll create a community yeah. surrounding me and uh, what I do. Um, and that, that stuck. Cool. Um, Cam, uh, do you use, because you were talking about influencer marketing, do you use inf influencer marketing um, for like the campaigns you're working on for like brands like Atlantic? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's music and, and influence marketing now has been, I actually think it was one of the leading spaces for that. Um, but I don't think people have always been able to understand how it quantifies. But I yeah. think that has changed dramatically with TikTok. Um, yeah. It's it's the relationship between if you ju you just have to look at charts you know you look at the top 100 in mm -hmm. any country and out or the spotify global top 200 yeah and it it's like there's probably not many songs on there that don't have a footprint on tiktok yeah. in some capacity and so it's you know i think for an industry that's always tried to work out where the where the best use of you know the budgets in music aren't big really you know comparatively to like big branded like advertising campaigns globally so when you are talking about um, I think they used to be bigger, obviously, when physical sales were much bigger. But now in the streaming, you know, I think that's the thing that always confuses people is music and industry where there are the, some of the biggest global stars, but four, four, a million streams is £4,000. So it's like you, you quantify that and you realise that that's not that much money really coming back in if you're, you know, if you yeah. only get 10 million streams and you spend 50 grand. So it's like, there's kind of like that relationship. But um, yeah, I think TikTok is a space that, I mean, every major label in the UK now will probably have an in-house influencer marketer um, who, and those teams, I know like those teams are expanding um, pretty much at every label. Uh, some labels are buying influencers outright in terms of not buying them, but you know, like they're um, contracting them for sort of retainers mm -hmm. um, just to post their songs yeah. you've got like micro influencer campaigns which is like there's companies like zebra in the uk have just opened up who have they can run campaigns with you know micro influencers that get you loads of creations if that's the metric you're looking for or you can go with macro creators you've then got still got the kind of every year there's like a cycle of new influencers coming through love island who are hot for a bit you know it's like mm, there's well, so like many love island? Yeah, yeah yeah um and and you know, you can't run that in isolation. So it's like you run that. That's where I think people go wrong. And it's a question that comes to me a lot in music in particular is like, oh, we're running influencer marketing. And it's like, okay, but you, you know, you should be running. It's about points of contact. So you want people hearing that song on TikTok. You want them hearing yeah. it on the radio. You want them to maybe see an ad. I wouldn't necessarily nowadays recommend that ads are like the best way of reaching people. But, yeah. and then you want the artist to be doing things either experientially or online that are interesting people. And when you're combining all of those factors for a long enough, in a condensed period for a long enough amount of time, that's when artists really start to break through and then people start to engage and start to ask questions of who they are. And you kind of line that yeah, all up together, basically. So Yeah, sounds yeah. pretty stressful. There's a lot, yeah, you know, like I, constantly going on top, being on top, yeah. reaching. Yeah. That's what There's it's also there. Like, you also want to, those people that you reached before already and that like you, that you want to keep that connection. And then, of course, you need to find new people. So you always have that stress of finding new and getting on top. But not re-establishing again that connection that you already had with somebody. It's, it's like paying again an ad to reach that person again. Yeah. So all the things that I hear is like this part of that, that broken creator economy that we also yeah. say. Because it's, it's broken. You constantly have to 
like pay Mark Zuckerberg or Instagram to, to reach them and 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 yeah in that way you don't build a, a community you don't build a loyal fan base yeah. you're just stressful like what should be the next content in order to be on top again yeah who should I pay what should I pay I think it's interesting I think it's like it's also investing in uh, in the content for the artists themselves mm -hmm. you know actually mm -hmm. I think that's a better use of spend you know if you have an emerging artist like spending all those things is well and good if you have the budget to do it but you know if you're actually spending 50 grand making sure they have a video a week going out on across all of their platforms that are like you know it's funny actually you said something earlier about the the best artists have a personal life and a I actually think it's kind of it's amazing it's like I think so many artists are so different I look at Kendrick Lamar I, I really don't know much about his personality you know like you, it comes through his music but yeah. there I think there are still artists who their whole appeal is like a visual aesthetic and like and the and the and music you know and just putting volume out into uh into the marketplace and then there are artists who you identify with their personality um, but it's difficult for them. I don't know. I, I think it's a difficult space for an artist. You know, if you, you get into the industry because you love music and then you have to suddenly mm. think about like your personality being always on, on social media, yeah. if that's, yeah. if that's what you're being instructed to do by a label. And so it's, it's a difficult space. Basically, <clears throat> I think the game three years in the last three years has completely changed. Mm -hmm. So in what way? In the way that it's, not about it's about it's about the content yeah it's truly yeah only it's really about the content so the thing is when also the times where you just as an upcoming artist you release like you build it up build it up go build an album go pitch it everywhere those times are gone it's like as an artist the best thing you can do is post as many times you can uh, and make this like make this good as possible but not too good like the things which I saw, I saw this artist who was on TikTok who just like played like small demos, like doing like multiple a day and then checking out which ones were picked up by the algorithm and the ones who were picked out, he would then uh, try to produce those. Like two, two things, like you don't have to guess which song will be a hit. So yeah. it's really based on user feedback, uh, creating a song based on user feedback. And the fun thing is the people who got served that demo they are like hooked on the song for the, uh, from the beginning. So you're building up like a community and you're building up leverage for like a song for eventually to be like um, having the best, uh, uh, highest rates of success in being a hit, for example. I think that mindset of just creating, creating, creating and basically in TikTok, you should, people should create four or five videos a day mm -hmm. because the ones that are shit won't be picked up, but the ones who are good, they will be picked up. So what? who cares? Yeah. Um, but it's all about the content. And the first thing, that's the thing I fully agree with. It's in the first place, it's about good music in the sense, and it's about having great art because you can be the, the nicest person and everything ever. But if the, yeah. the art and the product isn't great, then it won't be picked up. But it's distribution is like key it's like yeah. the one thing i i totally agree and uh, one really successful strategy that we we adopted recently was to uh, both as event promoters and venue um, we started uh, producing content that would be delivered uh, to the artists the morning after the events mm -hmm. uh, so short videos 
15 and 30 seconds and uh, a photo book from his performance, his or hers. Um, and uh, so Ben Bomer, the most watched video on his Instagram is of his performance at Arca. Uh, Frankie Wa used the, the pictures and video from his performance at Arca uh, on campaigns also for other things that he's doing. Uh, and also two days later we opened that uh, uh, repository of uh, content uh, also to the fans that were there and we sent it uh, via email to all ticket buyers. So that, you know, instead of trying to focus on our own channels and uh, only putting our content there, we're trying to to put our content on as many channels and profiles yeah. as possible. Increases shareability. Yeah. But but now we're discussing big labels, big brands, big artists. But if you're like an independent starting uh, DJ, for instance, um, do you stand any chance against like the, the big creators who, who are able to have had to put in the time to create like five videos a day? Yeah. Not if you try to compete in their game. No, you have to create your own game. But if you want yeah. to be picked, get picked up. Yeah, right? yeah. There's, there's, there's an artist in the UK who's just signed like a. I, I know it was a crazy amount of money. We were talking like multiple. They were talking six figs. He, it came from one TikTok, literally one TikTok mm -hmm. that went viral. All the labels hit him up the next week, and then he got signed. It's become this massive deal, and he's now yeah. got a, an, a, like a long-term artist project. And that came from one video of him in his in his chair in his living room, like playing this 30, 15 seconds of a song, and he's got a record deal. I actually think the control from the labels is like harder for them now. That like A and R has changed. Like I listen to what everyone's interested in. It's like data because all of these companies now have like crawlers on TikTok that are like crawling sounds yeah. that are viral and then putting them into metrics and it's like AI but it's really interesting it's like yeah there's never been a better time as a entrepreneur but especially artist as a creator to have a good idea so yeah. to have, sure. have a great idea yeah I think you you can produce it all yourself we everyone has like everything that you need is in your back pocket it's on your phone I think that has changed so much. You can create a video. There's never been a time where you can create one video and it gets seen by 100 million people, yeah, basically for free. It really shifted from being dependent of the bigger labels uh, and now the artists are the ones in charge and also maybe in, in doing the um, uh, label contracts. Yeah, I think it's interesting that we always still refer to phones as phones, like they're computers. Like yeah. I, I have whole days where I work purely on my iPhone, you know, and, yeah. and still do pretty much everything that I could do on a yeah. computer. And if not more, you know, because I can film things as I go and put that online. It's kind of like, yeah, they're really like it's every one has that in their pocket yeah. and they can kind of. That's a good point. Yeah. And I think that upcoming artists do have to think very well about like their strategy of building that fan base because because indeed like if you make yourself you said like you become independent if you have like one video but now they are dependent on the algorithm so to speak or yeah. whatever so they're building a brand on a third party platform so just thinking about like how can I make sure that the next time I have new content like Mauricio is saying and sending out through email that's a direct connection somehow yeah. you have that data somewhere in, in connected real way but it could be other ways that you want to connect through even DM through, uh, through WhatsApp whatever there are many many ways that people like to to interact but that's a direct connection so yeah. this is a very interesting time also very challenging because creating a video that is on top 
you're lucky or not? Is it, uh, is it Snapchat that depends, uh, decides with regarding to the algorithm? Is it your budget? Is it the money you spend? Is it your creativity? I don't know. It's a bit of a trick, but as soon as you have that, make sure that, that, uh, that you think about like, okay, what to do with the data, for example, how do I make sure that the next time I post something, it's not forgotten or put away? I wouldn't say it's luck. It's yeah. putting in a lot, a lot, a lot of hard work. And like the people, yeah, there might be one or two or three artists who got lucky, got lucky on their first shot. For example, I really love the story about Lil Nas X, mm. who like put like his, his, he understood like this very, uh, very early. I think he was really one of the first who leveraged the power in this case of TikTok. Yeah, he was he, in the military like a couple of years ago. He still, put right? like his song under like 50 memes a day, like, and just put it out on the platform. And that was the start of like old time, right? So it's, it's smart. It's about, it's really about grit. And it's really about, I truly believe that like putting out five videos a day, it's easily done like right now by, by a creator, but you can't like do a shitload of production on it. It's yeah. like, it's truly just on your phone creating and it can be the most simple things. Yeah, I would say build your own uh, networking effect in that. So if you have that first fan, make two out of them and those two will be four. And, and if they, 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 they help each other in building that's what we said on the community if they if you have a strong community become ambassadors it becomes bigger themselves so maybe through that way you become bigger as an artist also and and, and you're not reliant on uh, yeah. the algorithm or the next big video picked up just make sure that you have a strategy in mind on how to engage with your fans and how you keep them close to yourself and 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 use the different tools that yeah, are out there. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not saying social media is bad or whatever. No, it's it's great. It's a great way to find new artists, yeah. to get your word out Still there. Still needed. But you constantly have to think like, how will I engage with them after that and yeah. on a daily basis? I'd recommend like any young art. Like there's a lot of hype at Fred, about Fred again at the moment. I don't know if yeah. everyone knows him. Obviously you can't escape it on Twitter, TikTok once you've interacted yeah. with one video. But I recommend any young artist to go back two years or like a year and a half on his Instagram because that's I've been following him from the start so I know like I just heard about it and if you just go back everything that he's now being shouted about he was just persistently putting videos and playing into the algorithm the algorithm favors faces right he was putting selfie videos from this perspective of mm -hmm. him putting his music out he's put free albums worth of music out like well soon to be free albums worth of music out with an always on release strategy he's had videos of him with things he's had been engaging with his community by asking them what songs should be on albums that i, re I reckon they may be on the albums already i don't know you know but it's like still it's engaging the audience and I think that like just go back on him and like watch that if that's obviously don't copy but like you can take hints about like what he did I think yeah. it took him a decade to become an overnight success yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. That's, that's, yeah. a nice, that's, a, that's a nice quote yeah um, we have to wrap it up because our time is up but I have two quick more questions uh, Damien uh, I was wondering, is Fangage um, some kind of competitor uh, with OnlyFans? Because OnlyFans is used for sexual content, but also for music musicians or like pro gym, how do you say, gym bros, gymnastic, no, not gymnastic, 
pro sports. Pro, how do you say yeah. people who are in, in the gym a lot? Fitness influencers. Fitness community. Yeah. Um, not much more or less than than a social media platform. Also like uh, like like Instagram or Facebook. What's whatsoever. the difference? The difference is that um, also with OnlyFans you build your uh, brand on a third party platform. The data is of OnlyFans. I think um, I remember a very good example of Levy van Willigen. He was an adult uh, um, entertainer. entertainer. And one day or another, he was thrown out of OnlyFans and, and they, they blocked him. I don't know exactly what the reason was, but he just lost all of his income and everything. And that's that will never happen with, with, uh, with a fan gauge. You are the owner of data. It's in a separate uh, database. It's yours. You have access to it. You can even take that fan base with you and bring it somewhere else if you, if you want to. Because the fan gave the data to you as a creator. Mm -hmm. They don't give it to us. We safe yeah. keep it, but they give it to the creator. It's the ownership of the creator, and that's the important part of it. Um, and that's that you don't have with the other platforms. Sure. And then you can engage truly with them because you know exactly who, who that person is. You yeah. know their name. You can build a richer fan profile by connecting, uh, uh, follow to unlock things like Spotify, and and you really become to um, become knowing that fan. Yeah. You don't have that on on uh, the other uh, platforms, and that's that's the difference. So. No. And is it also that an artist has to um, pay for the, the the data that they're getting from the fans instead of the fans paying to ac have access to uh, the artist? No, they don't have to pay for uh, for that data uh, in the sense that they don't have to um, like uh, how do you mean do you have to pay for the data? That well, they at, at, at OnlyFans uh, you have to share a little bit of your revenue with OnlyFans as an artist. If, um, if you look at the revenue model, we're looking eventually at um, if the artist can make money for themselves, we'll uh, go into a ref share together with that creator, which will still be lower than the percentages that you see uh, on the common uh, platforms right now. But um, if the if the creator grows, then we grow. So it's also our our interest in having uh, from a financial perspective to help a creator to engage with their fans and to um, to monetize on them eventually not only for themselves to uh, in the end everyone needs a bit of income uh, to yeah. support themselves um, and we uh, we take a rep share of that to uh, make sure that we also get the company running okay thank you um, is there anything anybody wants to share um, that we did not discuss yet are we cool? Everybody? Yeah, we're good yeah. for now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. very interesting. Um, thank you. Well, thank you very much for participating in this talk. Um, of you. course, we have a small audience, so I wanted to ask if there are any questions from the audience for uh, the people on the on the couch on the on the podium. Yeah, Oscar, <laughs> Oscar, our favorite fan. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I think one thing that wasn't discussed, which I'm really curious about, is is about interconnecting communities. So I think that the the David Guetta part mm -hmm. that's really interesting because in the in the event industry, like most of the event brands are focused on their own community, while it's about interconnecting the communities because you book yeah. artists based on their fan base, but they're not working like directly with the artists to promote these events. Like not specifically, some 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 of the promoters do it, but you don't see it a lot. So I wanted to know about your experience or your idea, ideas on interconnecting communities. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, I, I think it's uh, it's fundamental, you know, uh, to uh, to be like net weavers, 
you know, in, in this sense. Uh, with, with David Guetta, we, we had uh, a very clear opportunity to do that because uh, we had been working with him for years, you know, doing his tours uh, in Brazil, and we knew about the relationship he had with the country, with the fans. Um, but um, in the end, uh, even now, uh, for us in a broader sense, uh, is about building those uh, connections uh, between one event uh, and another, uh, you know, trying to uh, speak to people about the, the subjects of common interest, you know, more than talking only about ourselves, about what we're doing, uh, what excites us, you know, what makes us wake up in the morning, get out of bed, you know, what makes us feel passion, you know, and uh, keep the conversation interesting uh, more than only like pushing what we want to promote. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's really interesting uh, also for, for the future of, and uh, again, for, for the events, like how to sell, sell your tickets. It becomes harder and harder mm -hmm. also because of the situation. Um, so you really need those other communities as well, instead of only focusing on your own community, like the interconnection is really important and find that common common thing that, that interests yeah. everyone, that will build the connection. Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's interesting. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for your question. Okay, thank you everybody. Um, for the listeners, make sure you tune into the third episode of Ticket Swaps, The Exchange. Um, and I, I wish everybody a happy ADE, very successful and fruitful. Um, and please continue the conversation after the talk. Thank you Thanks. very much. Thank you. Okay. Wonderful. Thanks.